Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Now, Paul goes on to say, by his grace, we have been made accepted in the beloved. We've been made accepted in the beloved. Do you realize that because of God's grace, you have full acceptance with God? Your acceptance is such a huge thing, isn't it? Nobody wants to be rejected. Everyone wants to feel accepted. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Ephesians. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6, in a message titled, His Glorious Grace. Now, here's Pastor Brian. As we come back to the text, let me remind you that as Paul begins to enumerate our spiritual blessings in Christ, he starts with the things that God the Father has done. And so we pointed out previously that each of the persons of the triune God are mentioned here as participating specifically in this great work of salvation. But initially, it's uh, the work of God the Father that the apostle is concentrating on. And so we've seen so far that God the Father has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He's chosen us before time began to be holy and blameless before him. And in love, he predestined us to adoption as children by Jesus Christ to himself. And so Paul goes on and he says that he's done all of this according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, or as some translations read, to the praise of his glorious grace, to the praise of his glorious grace. That's the title of the message, his glorious grace versus his great grace. But when we talk about God's grace, if we understand what it really is, if we really get hold of this thing of having been saved by grace, we shouldn't be able to speak of it without using terms like amazing grace or marvelous grace or wonderful grace, even the superlative matchless grace. You see, because once we really get a grip on this whole thing of God's grace, that, that's what we realize. We realize this, you know, grace is, in a sense, it's, it's insufficient to really describe the wonder of what we're talking about here. It's amazing grace. It is marvelous grace. It's wonderful grace. It's, it really is matchless grace. Now, a lack of praise for his glorious grace, which we do suffer from many times, and, and this is, I, I think it's a problem, especially in the, in the larger culture, people don't understand God's grace at all. But even in the church, many times, there's a lack of praise for God's glorious grace. 
And this lack of praise for God's grace, I believe it stems from three things primarily. Number one, from a low view of God. Uh, if, if we fail to praise God for his glorious grace, it's because we really don't understand who God is. We, we oftentimes, we have a very low view of God. We need to have a, a biblical view of God, a clear view of God. Secondly, not only do we have a low view of God, but we tend to have a high view of ourselves. And with a high view of ourselves, that will, that will prevent us uh, from appreciating fully the grace of God. You see, it's only when I see myself for who I really am and then realize what God has done in saving me, oh, that's when his grace is magnified. That's when my heart burst forth in praise. And so a low view of God, a high view of ourselves, and then thirdly, an ignorance of the magnificence of God's grace. So when we have a proper view of God and a proper view of ourselves, when we see clearly what grace is and what grace has done, our response, the, the only response, really, the proper response will be to the praise of his glorious grace. And so let's look at each one of those things today. Let's, let's look at God. It, we need to make sure that we've got a proper view of God. Now, of course, we talk about God, we believe in God, we read the Bible that we believe to be God's word. But isn't it true that so often our, our thoughts of God are so far below who he really is? Now, some of that is, a, is somewhat understandable because God is, at the end of the day, he is incomprehensible. Now, incomprehensible doesn't mean that we can't comprehend him in any way. It doesn't mean that we can't know him, but what it does mean is that we could never fully comprehend God. God is beyond our ability, and that's because he is, first of all, he is infinite. God is infinite. We are not. God is infinite, meaning that he is limitless. He's boundless. His eternality would be, in a sense, part of his infinitude. Just and, and these are things that, you know, honestly, the human mind cannot really fully grasp these things. If we could fully grasp God, then our minds would become God because God would be subject to our minds. But we, we can't fully grasp God. But I think many times we, we even fail to realize what we do have the capacity for. We, we fail to realize that. We don't think of God in as great of terms as we ought to. God is infinite. Now, the Bible gives us different ways that we are to educate ourselves in the knowledge of God. And one of the ways the Bible gives us is the study of nature. The Bible encourages us uh, to, to look at the heavens. The Bible tells us the heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament shows his handiwork. Day after day utters speech. Night after night shows forth knowledge. So through nature, God teaches us things about himself. Uh, we read in the eighth Psalm, uh, David 
went out in the evening as he would as a shepherd boy and he would lie there under the the starry sky and he would look up at the heavens and then he would pose this question. He would say, when I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have ordained, David would say, what is man? And you see, when we start to get some kind of an understanding of who God is in the sense that he is infinite, this is what happens to us. We, we, we realize his greatness. We realize our smallness. And then we think, God, how could you even take note of me? How could you even care about me? He is all powerful. He is infinite, but he's also holy. He's also holy. And holy means that he is absolutely pure, perfectly pure, morally pure and spotless, undefiled. God is so holy. He's so absolutely pure that we, even on our best day, could not bear to be in his presence. We see that in scripture. We see that with men like Job. We see that with Isaiah. We see that with Daniel. They have these encounters with God. God reveals himself to them. What happens? They fall down as dead men. That's what the holiness of God will do. God, God being holy is that he is so pure that we could not really look at him and live. So God is holy and then he is righteous. And righteous are... Uh, Holy is, is more the root and righteousness then would be the fruit. So the righteousness of God proceeds from the holy nature of God. So this is just a, a brief glimpse of who God really is. We have got to train ourselves through the scriptures, through meditation on the word of God, through um, the study of, of the creation through nature, we have got to educate ourselves on who God really is. You see, because if we have a low view of God, we will lack in our appreciation for his grace. A low view of God, secondly, we end up with a high view of ourselves. So we need to get the proper view of ourselves. Let's start with where we started with God. God is infinite, we are not, we are finite. We're creatures. We're creatures of time, we have limitations, we have boundaries, we have a lack in certain capacities. We could dream about things, we could wanna do certain things, we can imagine things, but we have no ability to actually accomplish them. Now, some people, of course, will tell you, oh, you can do anything you dream to do. Well, there are limits to that. There are things that you just can't do because we're finite. We're not infinite. And we are far from almighty. We are fragile. We are fragile, even on our best day physically. And then we are ungodly. We're ungodly. We're impure. All of us, that's just, that's who we are. In our deepest heart of hearts, we're not good in our deepest heart of hearts. No, we're far from it. We're the opposite. We're evil. We're self-centered. We're self-driven. We're, we're uh, lovers of self to the exclusion 
of anything that would infringe upon our own will or desires. We are ungodly, we are unrighteous. The difference between those two things biblically is uh, ungodliness pertains to our responsibility to God. Unrighteousness is talking about our failure in regard to our responsibility toward one another. And this is true. This is who we are. We're finite, we're fragile, we're ungodly, we're unrighteous. Now, of course, people would take issue with that. The first two, it's hard to take issue with, finite and fragile. Uh, Some people would argue, well, I'm not ungodly. Well, any failure to live uh, to the total glory of God constitutes ungodliness. So we are ungodly. Some people say, well, I'm not unrighteous. Well, unrighteous is any failure to live according to God's standard in relation to our fellow human beings. I think we're all unrighteous. We've all failed to do that. So a proper view of God, a proper view of self, but then we come to a proper understanding of grace. So here's where we tie these things together. You've got God up here in his infinitude, in his almightiness, in his um, omniscience, him knowing everything, in his absolute purity, in his righteousness. Here's God up here. Here we are down here in our finiteness, in our fragile state, and in our ungodly state, and in our unrighteous state, and in our unholy state. But this God, who owes us nothing, and who doesn't need anything from us, This God does something to remedy our problem and to bring us back to himself. Not because he owes us anything or not because there's some deficiency in himself that he has to do this in order to be fulfilled. God is perfectly fulfilled within himself. So why does God do this? He doesn't look at us and go, oh, you know, there's that spark of good. I just can't resist. I I see that goodness there. I've got to fan that to you know, into a flame. There's no spark of good. There's nothing. All of this comes out of the heart of God himself. And what does he do? A proper understanding of grace, in order to have that, we've got to realize this. The creator became part of the creation. This is what God did. Now, again, it's only if we understand his infinitude or his transcendence, how other than the creation God is, if we understand that, then to get an idea of him not only coming into the creation, that's not the most magnificent thing, although that itself is magnificent. It's the fact that he became part of the creation. That's what God did. He created everything and then he became part of it through the incarnation by coming into the world. Now, God could have still, you know, been in in some ways benevolent toward man without this extreme. God could have just kept at a distance and sent angels and done different things and, okay, we're going to, you know, kind of like the superhero type of a thing. I'm going to send somebody down to help those people. And uh, God didn't do that. God entered creation himself. The creator became part of the creation. In the the incarnation, God became a real man. Jesus was not a superman. 
He was not half man and half God. He was a real man. He became a real man. The creator became part of the creation. Secondly, the creator identifies with sinners. Jesus comes and he doesn't keep himself aloof from sinners. He identifies with us. And we see this spelled out in his baptism. What he was doing was he was being identified with sinners. That's what his baptism was. It was a point of identification with us as sinners. And so the the creator becomes part of the creation. The creator identifies with sinners. But then thirdly, the creator is numbered with the transgressors. This is even more mind-boggling. That this infinite God that we're talking about, this pure, holy God that we're talking about, he actually allows himself to be numbered with the transgressors. And that's what was happening on the cross. Jesus, what, remember the picture? He's there between two criminals, right? And he is being identified as a criminal. He's being numbered with the transgressors. And you see, this is all that God did for us through his grace. But this great love that he's had for us, a love so great that he purposed in himself to redeem us, and he did all of this to the praise of his glorious grace so that we might just be trophies of his grace, so that we might just then spend our lives thanking him for his grace and basking in his grace and being dispensers of that grace. You know, when you realize that you're saved by grace, you know what that results in? It results in a lot of grace toward other people. Because you you realize, you know, God did this for me, had this mercy on me. I, I didn't deserve it at all. If I do not see my own wretchedness and I somehow think that I, you know, I, I somehow deserve this. And when I think that way at all, I fail to praise God for his glorious grace. It's only when I see how absolutely undeserving I am, that's when everything changes. Now, Paul goes on to say in the remainder of the verse, he said, by his grace, we have been made accepted in the beloved. We've been made accepted in the beloved. Do you realize that because of God's grace, you have full acceptance with God? Acceptance is such a huge thing, isn't it? Nobody wants to be rejected. Everyone wants to feel accepted. You know, in our, in our culture today, there's a big move to make sure everybody accepts everybody. Because in the minds of many people, and in a sense, rightfully so, rejection is bad. We need to be accepting, people say. Well, it is a wonderful thing to be accepted. It's a, it's a very unpleasant thing to be rejected. If there's one person that could justifiably reject us, it's God. 
But here is the amazing thing. By his grace, he accepts us. He accepts us by his grace. He has made us accepted in the beloved. And he has made us the righteousness that he requires through Christ. The righteousness that God requires is there in Jesus and God takes that righteousness and he puts it on you and he puts it on me. And let me say it again, I've said it before. Listen, you are perfectly righteous before God if you are in Christ today. You are perfectly righteous. You can't do a thing to to make that righteousness any better because it's a perfect righteousness. It's the righteousness of Christ. And when God looks at you and when he looks at me, he doesn't see our wretchedness. He doesn't see our impurity. He doesn't see our sinfulness. He sees Christ. And we are accepted in the beloved. That's what it means to be in Christ and to have Christ in us. And as Paul says to the Colossians, it is Christ in us that is the hope of glory. So we've been highly favored in the beloved. That's who we are, highly favored, blessed among all people, accepted in the beloved. Now, let me ask you this. When you think about this, does your heart leap with praise? It should. It should. When you think about this, does praise burst forth from your lips? It should. And if it doesn't, it's because we have a low view of God, we have a high view of ourselves, and we haven't really understood this whole thing about God's grace. But the more we get to understand it. So do this. This is how we grow in understanding God's grace. Meditate more in the word. Read through the crucifixion portions of scripture. Meditate on Isaiah 53. Look at Romans chapter one. It's a picture of who we are. Look at Ephesians chapter two. That's a picture of who we are. And then think about what God has done. Go out at night and look up into the sky and look at the stars. Look at the moon and realize that the God who created these things, the God who sustains the world, look around at nature, look in a microscope at your blood or something like that. And in all these things, connect them back to God. And then remember that this, this is the God that bestowed grace upon us through Jesus. And this will absolutely bring the response that God is seeking to the praise of his glorious grace. That's, that's all God's seeking. He wants a bunch of people that are walking around, not boasting about themselves, talking about how good we are, how much better we are than this person or that person. He wants people walking around going, man, God is good. It's amazing. I can't even believe I'm saved. I can't even believe he had mercy on me. I can't even believe he loves me, but he does. And guess what? He loves you too. You see, as we, as we experience greater understanding of God's grace and we're more filled with God's grace, then we become dispensers of God's grace. And may that be so. 
for the month of October, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled The Death of Porn, Men of Integrity Building a World of Nobility by Ray Ortland. Gender identity, same-sex marriage, and women empowerment are among the biggest social issues of our time. But there's also a worldwide injustice of slavery that has found its way into our homes and into our pockets. The slavery of pornography. Multitudes of men and women today are in bondage and enslaved to pornography. So how can men and women be liberated? Well, in his book, The Death of Porn, Ray Ortland shares wise and biblical advice as a father to a son, reminding us of our royal identity because of our relationship with God through Christ. To learn about how the bondage of pornography can be broken, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. To order The Death of Porn, Men of Integrity Building a World of Nobility by Ray Ortland. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Ephesians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.